You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord Jesus, please speak to us now from your word in the spirit this Lord's day to the honor and glory of God. Amen. Well, as you know, we have been studying closely Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And as we've studied it together, we've also realized that the Corinthian culture is fairly close to the Western culture that you and I are part of. There is a clash of cultures that's going on in the church. There's a difference between the church that they were becoming and the church that they should be becoming in the spirit. One of the ways, the marked ways that was different uh, for uh, the Corinthian culture than the body of Christ that God was raising up was its individualism, its self-centeredness. Here in the West, we tend to begin with the individual and then work to community. But the biblical worldview always begins with the community and works to the individual. Individuality is something that is respected, encouraged, developed in the biblical worldview, but the priority is placed on the community, on the church becoming a true household of faith, a family in God. The Corinthian culture was into sexual freedom, social stratification, and also into spiritual experiences and performances. And all of that in this letter, Paul pushes back on. He's concerned to develop an embodied faithfulness to the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ in the Spirit. Daniel Yankelevich, a social analyst, I think describes something that in his view of the Western world is also very similar to the Corinthian point of view. And some time ago he wrote, by concentrating day and night on your feelings, your potential, your needs, your wants and desires, and by learning to assert them more freely, you do not become a freer, more spontaneous creative self. You become a narrower, more self-centered, more isolated one. You do not grow, you shrink. Well, the Apostle Paul in the passage for this morning discusses the unity of the body of Christ, the equality of the body of Christ, and the purpose of the body of Christ. He uses a body analogy for the social society of the church. And that was common in the first century, to use the body analogy. But the way the philosophers of the day used it was to make sure you stayed in your place, to affirm the social stratification of the culture. But Paul uses it in a markedly different way to say that everyone is included, everyone is of the same value, that there is within the body of Christ this interdependence Unified, yes. Diverse, yes. That the Lord has not called us to dependency, 
And the Lord has not called us to independence, but he's called us to interdependence. And one of the first ways that he underscores this truth of the unity of the body of Christ is that we share a common confession in the Spirit, Jesus is Lord. And we affirm that in every which way that we can. It's affirmed in our vocations, it's affirmed in our artistic endeavors, it's affirmed in our intellectual pursuits, it's affirmed in our relationships. Jesus is Lord. The second way that Paul would underscore the unity that we have in Christ is that we have shared gifts in the Spirit that reflect the same God at work. And he would insist that these gifts are all of the same value as God has called us to serve him. That we should not envy somebody else's gift. The gifts that God has given to us are what we ought to have in the grand scheme of his sovereign and providential care. And that the spiritual gifts are not spiritual hobbies. We're not talking about what we do in our spare time. We are talking about what is central to the kingdom work as it's manifest in our lives. Two quick expressions of this. Oh, about a year and a half ago, I woke up one morning with a real strong sense of a unique kind of pain shooting down my left side. It seemed to focus on my elbow, so I thought maybe I had a case of tennis elbow. I had worked in the yard uh, the day before, but nothing had happened that I thought would explain the pain. And the pain was intense. I saw my family doctor. He sent me to an orthopedic doctor, and the orthopedic doctor sent me to a physical therapist. For three weeks, I suffered in that intense pain. It really made me empathetic for people who live with that kind of pain. Well, I was squirming in the pew more than normal for the sermon. And David McKee, as I was leaving the pew, said, Doug, are you okay? And I said, no. And I told him the story, and he said, you need an MRI. Uh, he made some calls, and two days later I had an MRI, and four days later I had surgery removing a disc that was broken and was pressing against my spine. Well, David does not use his gift primarily within the walls of this church. And I would imagine that a lot of you do not use your spiritual gift within the walls of this church. It's a manifestation of your gift in the church, within the walls of the church, don't get me wrong, but your primary kingdom work for God in Christ is within this community, within this city, within your families, within your extended families. And that's how it was designed to be. The primary use of spiritual gift is not sitting in meetings or teaching Sunday school classes or even preaching a sermon. It's the use of God's gifts that he has given to you to bring about the gospel of Jesus Christ in our culture, in our community. 
The word in the Gospels that is used for the Holy Spirit is perkalete, someone who comes alongside. And in the authorized version, we translate that as uh, comforter. But I think we get the wrong idea with that. I don't think it's the most effective translation, comforter, because then we get the idea that the Holy Spirit's associated with feelings. It would be preferable to associate the Holy Spirit with wisdom. And in the first century, a lawyer, an attorney, was called a paraclete, an advocate. In New York City, when our church was transitioning denominations, I became very close with a partner in a major New York law firm who was very committed to seeing spiritual renewal in Christ Church in New York City. And I came to really respect the need for the gift of lawyering on behalf of the church. It changed my whole view of lawyers. Now I can never tell a lawyer joke <laughs> because I think of Jim and his advocacy for the church and the skill and wisdom that was needed on behalf of the church. When Paula Smalley had her accident, who shows up to rework the house, David Tanner. I mean, we could just go on through the life of the church of how the gifts are used for God's kingdom purposes. A third way that the unity of the church is emphasized is our shared baptism in the Spirit. That forms us into one body. It's not an initiation rite. It's not what baptism is. Baptism is a sign of the remission of sins and a testimony to the gospel of grace. And those who are baptized in Christ, there is no next step, no higher order, no greater ordination. That vow can never be trumped. Your baptismal vow, you have died with Christ and you are now raised in Christ. It doesn't get any better than that. And that is, in a way, a beautiful leveling within the church. I am not more spiritual than you are. I have not been called to a higher calling than you have been. We are all equally called to do God's kingdom work. And Paul lays this out for us in this chapter. He talks to two types of persons. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand... I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Well, one type of person in the church may feel inferior or doesn't feel like they belong. And they are tempted to say, I don't belong to this body. And Paul is concerned to insist that that person realize that no matter what part they play, they do play an essential role in the body. Our gifts are different. For a few weeks ago, my four-and-a-half-year-old grandson was visiting from San Diego, and I took him over to, to Beeson to show him my office, and we walk in, and on the tel top shelf, tucked away in the corner, I have a chess set. 
And Micah immediately saw it, and he said, what's that, Granddad? And I said, that's a chess set. That's a game. Oh, Granddad, will you teach me chess? He's four and a half. So I bring it down, and we spend about 30 minutes before I realize that it's going to be impossible for a four-year-old to figure out king, queen, knight, pawn, bishop. He's a bright kid, don't get me wrong. But I looked on Google, and the minimum age for teaching chess is six. How about you? You have confessed in the Spirit that Jesus is Lord, and you have been baptized in Christ, in the Spirit. Have you figured out your place in the body of Christ? The chess set may be a poor analogy because there is such hierarchy in the chess game. And it's not quite checkers in terms of our relationship to one another. But I hope that you have in your confession that Jesus is Lord understood your most valuable place within the church and within God's work within the kingdom. The second group that the Apostle Paul speaks to, it begins in verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. I'm not part of the body. Those who felt inferior... I don't need you, those who feel superior. Paul addresses those people who feel independent and that they're above it all. And he convinces them, he seeks to, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. The gospel reading actually fits perfectly here because the garrison demoniac in all of his weakness and brokenness, all of his history of disability and mental issues is suddenly a primary witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are so many believers from the reformers to Johnny Erickson Tata that have emphasized that the strongest testimony comes from the weakest members of the church. Those that have risen victorious because of Christ testify to the gospel of grace. And this is what Paul is emphasizing here. Those who say, I don't need you, they need to understand that the weakest elements of the church are those that are important. A good leader within the church does not decide who to relate to because they may be important. A good leader networks a church to underscore the fact that it is the weak who bear the strongest testimony to the gospel of grace. The purpose of the body of Christ is expressed simply. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles and prophets, teachers, miracles. And some have said that this list of gifts is, kind of, is not hierarchical, but chronological. 
in terms of the life and development of the church, planting a church and raising it up to become a true household of faith. If anything, Paul plays down the experiential gifts, raises up the simple testimony to the gospel of God's grace. The passage that I thought of this as I was working in 1 Corinthians 12 was Jesus' inaugural sermon. In Luke chapter 4, when he quotes from Isaiah 51, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he had begun by saying, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Christ in the Spirit would say to us today that this Scripture is fulfilled in the life and ministry and the gifted work in the kingdom of God for His sake in this church. Are you tempted to say you don't belong? Well, you do. Are you tempted to say I don't need you? Well, you do. We are a household of faith equal before God in Christ because of what God's grace has done in our lives. And he's raised us up, all of us, each and every one of us, to serve him. May we understand what it's like not to be a church of the culture, but to be the body of Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray together. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.